sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Wow, what a powerful clip. I mean, just a powerful speech. Happy MLK Day, a day in the States dedicated to the memory of the life and the cause of one of America's great leaders towards justice and equality for all Americans. Uh, His influence, of course, has spread far beyond America, too. Uh, Behind a microphone and standing in front of a crowd, Martin Luther King Jr.'s gifts came alive. He stirred millions with his voice, inspiring through eloquent words and living illustrations. All of those gifts are on display in his iconic I Have a Dream speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. on August 28, 1963. Pastor John, I know you have been thinking a lot about King, King the Preacher particularly. Uh, I'd love for you to share with us on this MLK Day uh, some of your thoughts of, of what's on your mind. Tony, I'm teaching a class on preaching, which I love doing right now. And as I've been pondering whom these young men should listen to for models of preaching, it struck me that Martin Luther King Jr. and Billy Graham are probably the two most powerful preachers of the second half of the 20th century, and maybe we could say the whole 20th century. Billy Graham was riveting to listen to with a kind of directness and decisiveness and simplicity and authority that could hold 20th century people from 1949 to 2009 spellbound for 45 minutes in crowds of 50,000 or up to a million in Seoul, Korea. Absolutely incredible what force and power this man had when he stood behind a pulpit. And then, of course, there's Martin Luther King's power and pathos and intensity and skillfulness and graphic imagery and artistic diction, for example, at the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, the I've Got, I Have a Dream speech, and and that unbelievably weighty moment on the evening of April 3rd, 1968, the very last message that he gave, the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop. And if you know the background, to that speech and the way the evening was unfolding, it becomes all the more amazing because he hadn't planned to go there and give that talk. So it was mainly out of his heart. These two men were giants of rhetorical gifting, but neither one gave the impression that he was performing. They were not trying to draw attention to their oratory. They were blood earnest about the cause they were living for. So I poked around a little more and found biographers who referred to the relationship between Martin Luther King and Billy Graham. And then I found an interview between Paul Harvey and Billy Graham at his home in North Carolina, in which Billy recounts 
some of the details of his relationship Mm -hmm. with Martin Luther King and his traveling with King to Latin America. Now, these two men were not on the same theological page, not by a long shot, and they were not on the same page culturally or experientially. Yeah. And uh, I don't doubt that in significant ways, Martin Luther King probably, gently but really, looked at Billy Graham and thought of him as fairly naive about the depth and complexity of the experience of African Americans and the obstacles confronting them in the 1950s and 60s, not to mention the decades before. But, it's a very big but, they said some remarkably positive things about each other's ministry. Uh, Paul Harvey asked Billy Graham how he could just go on preaching the simple gospel when America was blowing up over the civil rights controversies of the 1950s and 60s. And Harvey said to Graham, so why isn't Billy Graham on the picket lines with Martin Luther King? And Billy said, this is a quote now, I I typed it off of the YouTube interview, so I got the wording exactly right. Uh, Billy said, I talked to Martin Luther King many times about that. I called him Mike. (laughs) I didn't know he was called Mike. I, I said, Mike, I'll stay in the stadium and make them integrated. This is the South back in the 50s. And you go ahead on the street and do your thing. We went to Latin America together, and he made the statement while we were in Brazil at a dinner, if it had not been for my work, his would have been much more difficult. Hmm. We demanded integration almost from the beginning of our meetings in the South. I think that laid a groundwork. Now today, it's almost impossible for present—this is still Graham talking— almost impossible for the present generation to imagine what it took to be that way and how many threatening letters we got and how many threats against my family as a result of the stand we took at that time to demand the Crusades be integrated. And one biographer wrote, he held crusades in Little Rock in 1859 and in Birmingham, Alabama in 1964, not long after the racial tensions erupted there. And Howard Jones recalls King telling Graham, your crusades have done more to help race relations than anything else I know. Now, here are a couple observations that I would draw out as perhaps implications for our situation. Two things accompanied Graham's simple straightforward, powerful, decisive, confrontive gospel message about sin, salvation, and faith. One was that he absolutely refused to hold a crusade that was not integrated. This he did across the South. This was simply unheard of in those days. I mean, the church I grew up in at that time, this is 1960, 62, in didn't even allow blacks in the services Mm. to our great shame. So that's the first thing. He took a decisive stand on a particularly pressing indignity, and that accompanied his simple gospel preaching. The second thing that accompanied this simple gospel message was that punctuating his message time after time time, regularly in this 
explosive season. And you can find him online and see it, see more than once how he says the almost identical words, eyeball to eyeball, looking into the camera. Jesus was not a white man. And this is a direct quote from a YouTube clip. Okay, Jesus was not a white man. He was not a black man. He came from that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. Christianity is not a white man's religion. It's not a black man's religion. Let nobody, never let anybody tell you that it's a white or black. Christ belongs to all people. He belongs to the whole world, end quote. Now, that note he struck just very briefly, took him a minute, say, to say that, or two minutes if he expanded it. He struck that note in the midst of his simple gospel message again and again into a very explosive situation. Because that message is part of the New Testament global relevance of Jesus for all the peoples. That's not an extraneous thing tacked on to the gospel if you read the New Testament and its global definition of Christ's purpose in the cross. In the context of the 1950s, that message combined with the integration of his crusades, could get his family killed. Hmm. He said in an interview with Harvey, um, I don't think of myself any longer as an American citizen. And he added, quietly, only. (laughs) That's good. That's true. (laughs) I think of myself as a world citizen. Hmm. I've traveled all over the world a great deal, and I feel that I am part of a great mosaic of the human race that God has created, each made in his image, each needing the gospel of Christ, each having the same basic problems and desires and longings, and I'm part of this mosaic. Now, I'm assuming, Tony, that virtually everybody who listens to APJ, I'm sure there are exceptions, but most people who listen to, as Pastor John, love the gospel of Jesus Christ, love Christ-exalting ethnic diversity in the body of Christ, love true justice in all of society, love God's grace that goes beyond justice, love the truth of God's Word, love the power of the Holy Spirit that conquers sin in our lives, and loves the global glory of Jesus Christ. Mm. And it's that last note that I want to trumpet on this Martin Luther King Day, the global glory. You could call it the pan-ethnic glory of Jesus. The note that both MLK, most people don't realize how international MLK's vision was, Mm. and Billy Graham. They both struck this. Jesus does not belong to America, but to the world. Therefore, to belong to Jesus is also to belong to the world. The more Billy Graham walked with Jesus among the peoples of the world, the less distinctly American he felt, the less decisively defined he was by his nation and his ethnicity or his race. A spirit of confined, narrow, limited parochialism that has no glad heart, no biblical heart for the thousands of peoples of the world is going to be missing one of the great healing impulses for ethnic challenges in our day here in America or wherever you live around the world. Let's let Martin Luther King Day give us an impulse for what Billy Graham called the great mosaic 
of the human race. It will make a great difference in our lives and in our ministries. Amen. Wonderful reflection on two lives. Thank you, Pastor John. And uh, here's that clip from Billy Graham's sermon in Chicago in 1971. We'll close with it. Here he is. Anyone that can see Jesus on that cross and not be touched has a heart of stone. They first took off his clothes. Then they took long leather thongs with steel pellets or lead pellets on the end and beat him across the back until he could hardly stand up. Then they put a crown of thorns on his brow and his face was bleeding. And they laughed at him and they spit on him and they mocked him. And with one snap of his finger, 72,000 angels had already drawn their swords ready to come to his rescue and wipe this planet out of existence in the universe. And Jesus said, no, to this end was I born. And he dragged and lifted and hauled that cross. And don't you black people ever forget one thing. The man that helped Jesus carry that cross was a black man. And don't ever forget another thing. Jesus belongs to Africa as much as he does to Europe and Asia. He was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. And Jesus was not a white man like me. Nor was he as black as some of you. We don't know what the color of his skin, but it must have been a dark color like the people of his day because he was a man like them. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. He belongs to the world. Powerful. That is a powerful clip. We will see you on Wednesday. I'm Tony Ranke. Thank you for listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast. We'll see you next time.